0: Hello and welcome to another edition of TPA Talks, and I'm very excited today to be joined by Dr. Madsen Perry of the venerable and august Adam Smith Institute. We'll be talking about everything from economic policy in the 1970s and 80s compared to today, and what makes great storytelling. So do stay tuned. You're listening to TPA Talks, the Taxpayers Alliance podcast. And Mattson, if you don't mind, we'll go straight into conversation because I joined the Taxpayers Alliance in 2009. And of course, the Adam Smith uh, Institute coming into politics was always a venerable organisation on the centre right. But, you know, you founded the organisation in the late 70s. And would you just um, sort of give us a bit of background on that? What, what led you to start um, a, a think tank in the first place? And, you know, what were the founding ideas?
1: Yes, venerable is a very polite way of saying old, isn't it? <laughs> we... Uh, we founded it in 1977 because we saw Britain going to hell in a handbasket as rapidly as possible, sick man of Europe, and yet many of the problems had been solved in other places in other parts of the world. And we simply wanted a new type of think tank that would propose policies. Policies that would be not only successful in solving the problem but might actually get the politicians re-elected. We were influenced by uh, Jim Buchanan's public choice theory. Uh, he said that bureaucrats and politicians act in their own interest, right? Fine. Is there a way you could take that interest on board? Is there a way you could make it in their interest to do the right things uh, for the country? And that was basically the origins of the Adam Smith Institute. August 31st, 1977.
0: Well, very very close to an anniversary, so um, not, not too far away, next month. Um, and obviously the organisation became very influential during the, the late 70s and then the 1980s. Um, as the country was quite radically restructured, and the ASI played a significant role in that, to what extent um, do you think that the country was simply ready for new ideas, or was there sort of a, a sort of fortuitous alignment of um, a politician that was willing to take them on? You know, what 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 were the sets of circumstances that led to the ASI being so influential?
1: Well, I think we got lucky on all counts. Um, first of all, the post-war consensus had failed. Secondly, the, the Phillips curve that said you know, inflation and unemployment uh, are inversely proportional. Um, You you can have inflation if you want full employment. Uh, It went vertical and so no matter how much inflation you had, you didn't get any more more employment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secondly, of course, we had a politician, uh, Margaret Thatcher, who came in um, determined to, to, um, so to speak, restore the spontaneity uh, that had been lost. A real conservative with a capital C doesn't actually oppose change. They want it to be natural, organic, spontaneous, caused by the decisions of peoples deciding about their own lives. And she was a real conservative and she wanted to restore that spontaneity. So we had two of them. But secondly, I think um, our name began with an A. And all journalists had you know lists of people to contact and they all started at the top, so they rang the Adam Smith Institute first. And again, that was purely fortuitous. The reason being that when we were planning it, Uh, in uh, 1976. It was the 200th anniversary of 1776, and the three of us were all Scottish PhDs from St. Andrews, and we revered the patron saint Adam Smith, so we called the Institute after him in order to promote his ideas.
0: And of course there were other think tanks in the, in the Westminster scene, uh, of course.
1: IEA and CPS IEA were, we're and already
0: CPS, there. Yes, they so were already there. And to what extent did you did you work together on on any projects or was it quite distinct, your, your work? Oh, no, we
1: worked together. We, yeah. we, uh, we held joint conferences. Um, we said in those days that uh, if we'd all been in, a, about six of us, and if we'd all been in a taxi and killed in a smash, the world would have been completely different. So, We, we were very small numbers. And
0: mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really interested in this idea of um, you know, a think tank's policy proposals being taken straight into cabinet. And, and uh, you, one could say it's quite easily because of the, the influence of one politician. But was, was there something unique about the, the environment at the time that saw that, you know, the ideas being taken straight into cabinet and enacted as policy?
1: Well, again, there was one of those coincidences. Um, they had something called the number 10. Uh, it was called the Rothschild Think Tank and it generated ideas in Number 10 Downing Street. Unfortunately, um, they went a little bit far and proposed uh, what amounted to the abolition of the NHS and seriously embarrassed Margaret Thatcher. Uh, and so she fundamentally dissolved that. And she sent a shopping trolley around the supermarkets, around the CPS, the IEA, the Adam Smith Institute, and she bought policy off the shelf instead of generating it in-house. So that, again, a lucky accident that happened and it made all of us more influential. And do you think
0: there's anything that think tanks are doing now in the 2020s that you, you would ask them to look back on, uh, you know, the 1980s and copy some methods or, or do you think think tanks have actually come on leaps and bounds or How do you see the scene now compared to when you set up the Anna Smith Institute?
1: Well, it's a lot more um, There are a lot more people out there contributing and of course There are a lot more ways in which you can propagate your message. Don't forget that in, in the late 70s um, No internet, no email, <laughs> no uh, social networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're dependent on uh, what we used to call the Dead Tree Press, you know, the the printed newspapers and to some extent television, uh, BBC and ITV. Uh, These days you've got hundreds of outlets and uh, many of them more influential than the ones that we had to use when we first began. So I'd say it's a lot more energetic, more vigorous, Uh, there are more minds contributing to it. So it's far far better from the point of view of development of policies. There are more people tackling problems and trying to think of innovative ways of dealing with them.
0: That's really interesting. And of course, uh, at the moment, we've got a a, a race for um, Prime Minister Mm. down to the final two and lots of ideas going out in the press about what they'll do if they get the top job. What what do you make of the different um, plans for tax that both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss have?
1: Well, of course, um, Rishi's original uh, stance of um, not reducing taxes now, but only, quote, when we can afford to do so versus Liz. Uh, no, we need to cut taxes now in order to generate the growth, get the economy going, get people wealthier. Uh, so that was a crucial difference. But um, Rishi now says he, he's going to cut VAT on uh, fuel, heating, petrol. Um, and um, it's the wrong tax to cut <laughs> it, because so that, that would probably be inflationary. Um, on the other hand, uh, Liz wants to cut corporation tax. Now. Uh, that needn't be inflationary it could be but it needn't be inflationary because um if if instead of increasing it from uh, 19 to 25% uh, and uh, ending the annual uh, expensing yeah. you know putting investment as tax deductible which is due to expire next year if keeping that going permanently and if l- instead of raising it to 25 lowered it to 15 the average pay in Britain would be up by £1,500 per, per year. And if she went to £12,500, £2, £2,500 a year. Now that is, is significant stuff and that would get the economy moving. That makes investment more worthwhile. People would invest in, in order to, uh, so to speak, attract that spending. And um, it, it, it would uh, aid recovery enormously. So I think the difference between the two is, is that uh, Liz you know, has gone for the Dash for Growth model, which I think is the the one that we'd be most sympathetic to.
0: Well, it's, it's really interesting um, that you know, uh, candidates throughout the race, not just the final two, have been talking about which different taxes they would cut in order to talk to the um, Conservative Party membership, but uh, really interesting word you use there, it's probably not talked about growth and yeah. having a proper plan for growth and productivity. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that, that any of the candidates have addressed any of that sufficiently?
1: Well, uh, I think um, Liz has so far. Mm-hmm. that The problem um, with the Treasury mindset is it's very cautious, uh, they balancing the books, uh, tight fiscal policy, um, and that's probably not what we need at the moment. We need someone to, to take a chance. Now, um, in uh, 2017, uh, they did that in America. They went for growth in a budget, they slashed taxes, particularly corporation tax, and it worked. They had an immediate uplift uh, in the economy growth, and the majority of the gains went to the uh, the lower paid. Um, we, we, you know, they weren't just helping their rich friends. On the contrary, the the, the output the figures are there now, and it was the uh, bottom part of the uh, earning spectrum that made the most gains from it. And we've done research uh, that shows the same would be true in Britain mm-hmm. that it, it would be the people who needed most who would benefit from it most.
0: Uh, that's really interesting. And so if, if, if groups like the ASI or, or, or the TPA or any of the groups who believe in sort of freer markets and, and free people, um, do we tell good enough stories? Because it's great to do that kind of research, but you know, telling the story of somebody on a low wage who's got a pay increase, you know, that, that could have more power than, than some simple research.
1: No, we don't tell enough stories and we don't tell them right. For example, um, the majority of people in Britain ask, should we be taxing business more, would say yes, because they think you know um, business would then be paying the taxes. But of course, it's not true. Uh, of corporation tax, um, some roughly 60% uh, falls on the employees. That is, the money that the uh, firm is paying to the government would otherwise be available for the wage pool, and, and the workers would get wage increases. And the remainder is divided between shareholders and customers. They put their prices up because of the high taxes and so the consumers uh, suffer and um, the the shareholders um, don't get uh, as good dividends because they're paying money to the government. So the firm becomes less attractive to investment and so less investment is done, less expansion is done. Mm -hmm. But the average person in Britain thinks that corporations pay corporation tax. They don't. At, At the end of every tax is a wallet or a purse. Corporations don't have wallets and purses, they just pass it on. They pass it on to employees, to uh, shareholders, to consumers. So again, we should, always pay, yeah. we should be telling that story, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that, that, that there's no such thing as a business tax, really.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and making these arguments in the 1980s, did, were, were, was the general public sort of more ready to hear this argument because of what had gone on before in the 1970s? What were the different environments at play?
1: I think the main thing about the late seventies, early eighties, was it was the, the public was ready to do something different. Really? I don't think they necessarily bought the arguments of the free market, mm-hmm. but they knew that do, doing what had been being done wasn't working, hadn't worked, and wouldn't work. So they were ready for something different, and the the free market, free trade alternatives, was something different.
0: And um, drawing on on that. You know, There's parallels now with the late 70s with um, inflation being quite high, Um, interest rates are currently low but Mm -hmm. are set to increase um, over a given period and and of course um, lots of strike action, disruptive Mm -hmm. strike action by um, public sector unions. Um, Are we reliving the late 70s now or are there important differences we're not really talking about?
1: There are very important differences, yes. Um, In the late 70s we hadn't started the privatisation programme. So, um, you know, the state produced the cars, the trucks, the planes, uh, it ran the, all of the uh, services, the utilities. Um, and and so, um, strike action had a more powerful effect on the public. Uh, now, it's mostly public sector unions who are doing the striking. That is, um, uh, obviously, uh, civil service railways, um, you know, uh, we, they don 't have the capacity to uh, influence the public as much as they did then. Mm-hmm. Um, local government services then had not been contracted out, so um, I mean when the winter of discontent came along, uh, they were able to stop virtually all local government services. I took a picture of garbage bags piled thirty foot high in Leicester Square and we used it for the cover of one of our uh, one of our uh, research studies. Um, they. Uh, my favourite story was, of course, the uh, the grave diggers who went on strike in uh, Liverpool, and the council, since they couldn't bury the dead, had to have them buried at sea. Um, perhaps the most telling incident was when the ambulance drivers were called out on strike. They had a patient with them. They dumped the patient in the snow and were called out on strike. Right. It, it, it's completely different now. The whole attitude has changed.
0: And you know when the. Rail, rail workers go on strike, we can just work from home now.
1: Indeed, yes, of course, working from home has, has made a rail strike uh, less effective and, and less dramatic in its effects on the economy, yes. Yes,
0: yeah, so there are important differences there. And again, talking about parallels between the two periods, the 2020s and the late 70s, early 80s, um, again in the leadership race, the, the the spirit of Margaret Thatcher is invoked, who's most like Margaret Thatcher? Are they you Who's know, more Thatcherite, less Thatcherite? Do you think that for groups like ours on sort of free market centre-right, if you will, that constantly referring back to Margaret Thatcher and comparing and contrasting is helpful? Or do you think that we need to stop doing that?
1: I think it's helpful. Um, If you wanted to divide politicians into two types, uh, conservative politicians, that would be uh, the managerialists, who think it's the Tories' job to make the best job of running the economy, running things, you know, efficiency. And then, if you like, they are the, the, uh, the naval officers. And then there are the pirates, <laughs> and Margaret Thatcher was certainly a pirate. You know, um, Take the bold leap into the unknown and do it with sufficient determination for long enough so that the positive results come out. And in her case they did, of course, and the economy grew like the clappers. We went from having the, the worst strike rate in Europe to having the best in just a few years. We went from having an economy that had been going downhill, it seemed, forever. So on that was among the top dogs in, in Europe, um, you know so there is that temperamental difference, and it's good to appeal to the memory of people like Margaret Thatcher as compared to, say Edward Heath, you know, the managerialist versus the, the entrepreneur, if you like mm-hmm. and
0: in order to continue that theme, um, public spending um, spending under Thatcher actually sort of. Um, wasn't cut by all that much. And in some areas it even went mm. up, um, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the, the sort of big moves on fiscal policy were done on the tax side. Um, spending is an altogether different beast now of over mm. one trillion pounds. It, it, it's it's the sort of, um, it's not talked about enough in the current debate, would you say? And um, mm. w- what could we do to get a grip
1: on? Well, it's the job of the taxpayers' alliance to get a grip on spending, to constantly embarrass and humiliate the government by pointing to the absurdities. Uh, the government seems incapable of actually cutting spending. Uh, first of all, privatization had a huge impact on that because what industries that required subsidies and taxpayer support became profitable private companies paying money into the Treasury rather than drawing money out. Uh, the second phase was under John Major, the Citizens' Charter, when um, the public services, were the first, for the first time ever, were asked to say what it was they were trying to do and what would happen if they didn't do it. Uh, We're about to produce a paper in which we've uh, commissioned opinion polls to find out what the public thinks are important in all of the various activities the departments engage in. Do you think that education, schools, should be concentrating on subjects like uh, STEM, you know, um, important things that will equip them for life, or do you think they should be doing diversity training and anti-colonial studies? And guess what the public thinks are important? Now, once departments are required to find out what their public thinks are important, it'll be very difficult for them to spend money on the things that the public thinks don't matter. So that's the next phase. If you're gonna cut spending, cut the spending on the fripperies that don't make any difference and mm. concentrate it on the core resources. That way you can cut out unnecessary spending. Well, that's a really
0: interesting point. And of course, uh, under the coalition government, the, the government did talk about, um, you know, getting rid of quangos, etc., etc., but whenever they took some action, what you found is the spending was just sort of shuffled around elsewhere and Mm. and cutting out functions of government is possibly more important than, you know, know, um, is more important than the amounts of spending itself almost.
1: Yes, well if if you tell the department it's got to cut 10% of its budget, the Civil Service will immediately propose cutting the services that the public values most. For example in the United States when uh, the the, um, uh, predecessors of border control um, uh, were told to cut spending immediately. They took off the officers who were searching people for drugs coming into the country, <laughs> which is the one thing. People did want money spent on it, but they, the idea was to put pressure on congressmen to, to, to uh, repeal that 10% cut. This is how um, public sector people behave. Mm-hmm. So um, the answer is uh, yes, you have to cut out um, whole areas. You, you can't just reduce their budgets you have to stop doing it altogether. Mm -hmm. In local councils, I don't think we have any more five-a-day officers walking around. I'm not sure we have any real nappy officers left. And I'm not sure we have people going around fish and chip shops, asking them to reduce the number of holes in the salt shaker so that people will put less salt on their chips. Functions are being cut here and there.
0: We saw um, an example a Scottish council of a toothbrush coordinator, so hopefully that they've got rid of that function too. (laughs) It's really interesting you talk about local government because, again, um, journeying back to the 1980s, it was um, something that was centralised quite heavily um, under Mrs Mrs. Thatcher's premiership. Um, Would you like to see a reversal of that and actually some more local decision making being taken, particularly in areas of taxation and things like that? Mm.
1: The problem um, Margaret Thatcher faced in local government was you'd have, uh, particularly true in Scotland, it's happened elsewhere you'd have a local government elected that would tax business heavily in order to uh, uh, benefit the electors, to give the electors uh, perks that would make them vote for that usually left-wing government again. And of course um, it's a a social black hole you're creating because you're taxing business so heavily it moves out. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a smaller and smaller tax base so you have to tax it more and more to get the money to support those services that you're giving to the electorate. And it was, that's why it became more centralised, to stop them doing that. Because politically uh, you, you do stuff that's going to be popular and get you re-elected. Economically you've got to do stuff that will make the whole area prosper and the two aren't necessarily aligned.
0: Interesting. I'm going to finish with a final question, um, drawing on an earlier question which was on telling stories. and. Uh, sort of quite uniquely for a policy thinker, you also write some children's books. Yeah. Do, do you think that that helps to crystallise your thought processes into much more understandable, easily tellable stories?
1: I don't know. All, all, all I do know is that when I wrote a book called uh, Economics Made Simple, I started every chapter with a little story You know about the Chinese fisherman who catches fish and takes them to the market and then the trade takes place and both of them gain because the restaurateur wants the fish and the Chinese fisherman wants the bag of rice. And so they both raised their wealth simultaneously by getting something they want more in return for something they want less. And these little stories at the beginning of every chapter, yes, they do bring it home. And you see that economics is not some remote thing discussed in Cambridge mathematics. It's part of the everyday process by which we deal with each other.
0: Well, thanks again to Madsen for such an interesting chat comparing the 1970s and 80s to nowadays and, and seeing what lessons we can draw um, from that time and indeed from the great Adam Smith Institute. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please do like, comment, share with your friends and colleagues and um, you know make sure we spread the message far and wide and I'll catch you again for another episode of TPA Talks very soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of TPA Talks. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let others know by sharing and leaving a review
1: and make sure to tune in next time.